0: Back again, the growth vault number six, Robert Rahil, Chase Moseni, Austin, LA connection. Not going to be Austin, LA for long though, my friend. We're going to have some European connections. Very exciting. Very exciting. How you doing, brother?
1: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I got a little bit of anxiety. I get a little anxiety before big trips, just tidying everything up with the whale, with personal stuff, just being gone for a month overseas is, is a bit of a, I've been gone for a month before. But yeah, just getting everything kind of tidied up, but very, very excited. Really looking forward to having a a nice little break and just enjoying life for a little bit. I want to read every day, work out every day, write. Like I've been playing around with the idea of doing some sort of little episodic kind of content creation for the... I get bored on trips. So very good though. I'm in in a really good place. The whale's ripping, growth vault's doing well. Life is good
0: right now. Life is good. That's great. Yeah, that's gonna be.
1: Incredible. How about you? How are you doing? What's new over in the sunshine?
0: What's new over in the sunshine? Nothing, man. Kids are not sick. Life is, uh, life is good. Life is good. Yeah. Pencil, like you said, uh, to the moon. AI is uh, having its moment, and I'm not mad about it. So, no complaints there. It. And uh, every episode we release, we get new DMs of different things of people saying how much it's it's helping them. So. That's not to gas us. That's more like maybe there's like three things we say per fifty to sixty minute session that actually have a little bit of a uh, little bit of value. So excited to uh, dive in today. Topic is bets and moonshot marketing. So really, really excited to yeah. dig into that. But is there Same. anything you have been thinking about? Any interesting stuff you wanted to cover at the jump? Why do we? Let's Where's see. What do I got? In my thing, little dude, that we loved. The funnel is not dead.
1: Yeah, uh, market one is just it is the insane. the best, and they yeah. they're, they're the best. Their stuff is so so good, and I think there actually is some overlap in to D to C as well. I think that's kind of where we're finding our groove is that confluence of D to C and B to B. I think that's yeah. that's really where me and you shine. Apple event? Did you get watch well, any yeah. of it? Get hot and bothered by it? What are your thoughts?
0: I mean, I don't get hot and bothered by any technology. I I kind of love that people are pushing the boundaries. Obviously, uh, yeah. you know, Zuck is sitting there wanting to. Oh. yeah, he wants to uh get pummeled by one of his sparring partners (laughs) after watching that
1: yeah
0: i thought it'd be interesting like i still am very i don't know not bearish but kind of middle of the road on wearables ever being a thing like it's still it's still a huge headset on your face like if if they got it to the contact level maybe or like it was your actual just glasses that you would wear but those things I mean, Google Glasses flopped, snap yeah. snap
1: shades or for whatever, which was really well done, flopped. Yeah. So I don't think not to cut you off, but I don't think it's yeah. the form factor. I think there's just some weird society. And Apple's form factor is beautiful, but it's definitely the most robust out of the yeah. three. Like the Google Glass was almost like glasses with a camera. The yeah. snap snap, I can't remember what the fuck they're called. Snap shades or some shit like that. Yeah. They're actually really well done. But I don't know. Cause you have kids, little youngsters, they're growing up in this era. I have like, there was a, during the, well, a couple things here. One, before we get to the societal stuff, do you think keynotes are dead? Like Apple slayed this. It was so highly produced, so well done. Everything was an 11. I mean, I I don't know how they do this better. And I wonder, is like the live keynote done? Like has Apple killed the live keynote? Because the risk you take in these crazy live demos like it's just not worth it, and they nailed it. So that was my kind of one of my big takeaways at the macro level. Is like, have yeah. they changed the product launch game forever? Because like they've always set the the bar right for whether it was keynote, Steve Jobs announcing the yeah. iPhone is probably the best keynote ever done. Yeah, and now they're not even like, I mean, quasi on stage, but not really. Like they're just cutting to these really. Gorgeous, highly produced, pre-recorded videos. I don't know, man. I don't know why I would take the bet. I like. I thought it absolutely landed from because, especially again, this is your arena. Like, if I come to you and say, "Hey, I have X amount of dollars and I want to launch a product," do you tell me we do a keynote or do you tell me we do the Apple route?
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't. I think you almost don't do any of that kind of stuff. You go spend it on places that work a little bit harder for you, and you just try to have yeah. like a, a proper just digital launch. I don't think you can beat... So I think the idea is if you try to beat Apple, you'll lose because they're the best and they yes. set the market. And so it's not... It's it's almost like uh, DC Forever tried to beat Marvel. And it's like, you're not yep. beating Marvel, just be yourself. And every time they were themselves, yeah. good things happened, right? Like, uh, what was yeah. the movie? Aquaman was good. Wonder Woman was good. But when they're trying to do things, when they did the Batmans, the new version, trying to be like that, just none of it, none of it landed. So... I think if companies want to do these things, it's really lean into what makes you special. Um, and that's that. Like like nebulous shit. But don't try to jump the shark and beat Apple like you're not going to do it. So if you're going to just have, even if you have something that's kind of lo-fi, it's almost counter to like, dude, we don't care about all this highly produced shit. We care about product. Like we just want to deliver a product to you. It almost counterbalances how highly produced something like that is. And it makes it feel more impactful because you've essentially spent all of your money on product dev versus making this highly produced thing. Also, they have the GDP of multiple countries. So That's like insane. the fact that they can highly produce, you know, their market cap, they can spend the money. I would rather have some more hardworking channels kind of helping proliferate the message rather than doing that. What about you?
1: I think I'll take it in two parts. One, if I do have the resources, like a Google, Microsoft, or et cetera, where I'm in that big boy league, I think I emulate Apple, to your point. Like you you have to aspire to them. If I'm in the lower ends, I'm much more in that kind of guerrilla marketing where we we can't afford a Range Rover, so why are we going to try and buy one and get all levered up versus like... Because I think the too long didn't read for me is when you do it with a lot of perceived effort and it doesn't land, that's the worst case scenario. Where it's like, if you can keep it, like you were saying, lo-fi, then that's kind of a cool vibe. Like, this is up and comer, let's do it. Like, I mean, not so boring, fantastic newsletter. And they always do this like horrible clip art stuff that absolutely plays, like it's awesome. So I think you're right on both accounts. I do think if I am a big, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, I think the keynote is dead, which is sad. I it think the, the keynote was was cool. I yeah. was a big fan of the keynote, so I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't see, yeah, I don't see yeah. any better way to do things. Like yeah. I think Apple showed us a new way to do it. It was, you know, what did they say, invention is the mother of necessity, and uh, or necessity is the mother of invention. invention yeah. And COVID prompted this, where they couldn't have the big thing in Moscone, blah blah blah, yeah. blah. Well, I guess it's at the Apple campus now, and so now they just found it, and it's just I'm guessing a way. Less heavy lift because being on stage for some people is really challenging versus being behind a camera yeah. um, where you can just take multiple takes versus having yeah. <laughs> having to hit that take. I mean yeah. you know this better than everybody, yeah, so I think like, it's almost like theater versus film, where yeah. candily yeah. theater is way harder than film, like theater when yeah. you're out there on the stage like that's what's getting recorded versus yeah. film, you have post production you have things that you can shake out, yeah. yeah, so I think the keynote might be dead. What else? We won't get into the societal stuff. I'll I'll, I'll save that for a Debbie Downer episode. (laughs) Uh, What else do I got? I've been super bullish on the merging. of. So AJ has this great line. I hated it for marketing, but I loved the thesis where it said, uh, let machines do what they do best and let humans do the rest. Yeah, That's my new AI thesis. I think AI is fantastic, but I think it might have been a head fake for a lot of people. I Mm. think what's going to happen is there's going to be this, and for good better or worse i don't know but there's going to be this concentration of ai power so you're going to see google microsoft i think really really take that torch and run with it and by extension you know open ai because of microsoft's investment but yeah. i've been blown away by bard candidly cuz i don't yeah, yeah. have the plugin thing so for yeah. people that know bard is google's for lack of a better analogy chat GBT, um but it's already connected to the internet the visuals are way better. ChatGPT is still a fantastic writer, but I've been using BARD more and more. And the irony is I pay for ChatGPT and BARD is free. So yeah. I'm actually starting to become pretty bullish on Google where I think that people are overestimating the uh, the impact it's going to have on them. I'm actually thinking about, this is not investment advice, <laughs> um, taking a little bit of a position because I yeah. think it's a little, little bit undervalued right now. I have to think about like uh,
0: Google's their data advantage. They don't That's, what I'm, anything. The, they That's what I'm the saying. Like, they they own I'm saying. Like they probably own the most real estate. They own the very most well real estate put. they've indexed. They've indexed the most real estate. They have all They have a ton of compute. They have a ton of compute. And this is they have the top like the amount of investment in algorithmic engineers yes. is second to none on the yes. planet. Like not just yes. oh in the United States, the planet. And so Yes. To think that companies so are like OpenAI had a head start, which is also why they launched ChatGPT last mm-hmm. year, because they like this is all this is all Game of Thrones shit, obviously. Um, so you know they knew, so they had to get to market faster, so they got the market share because Google has the data and engineering advantage just based on scale of the business. So Love this is one of those ones like it actually dovetails perfectly into bets. Um, which is you got to take a bet sometimes to go early because it's going to give you first mover advantage, stuff like that. So anyway, we'll definitely... No, I
1: love that. So for people to kind of keep people along if they're not familiar, uh, essentially a first mover advantage is a way to think of it. If you're the first in the market, you're the best in the market because you're the only choice. Yeah. The challenge and what, again, I'm seeing in the AI and the thesis that I'm starting to have is two steps ahead of martyr, one step ahead of saint. And so I am thinking that you sometimes don't want to be the spearhead because you get got. And so I'm wondering, and again, Sam Altman, brilliant dude, hedged his bets by making sure he had a behemoth, a gorilla in his corner, gorilla, i.e. Microsoft. Yeah. But I'm wondering, you know what I mean? To your point, there's just so many... like. Google is so well positioned for this. And I think that I was, you know, included in the yelling at the demise of it. So I don't know, we'll see how it plays out, but I definitely think first mover advantage is really important. But at the same time, you don't want to be the martyr that dies. You want to be the saint (laughs) that gets uh, to live.
0: Uh, So I think there's a little bit of that going on. Speaking Uh, of AI martyr, definitely, definitely. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like the saints are better. Yeah. Being first is cool. But, you know, you maybe you don't get canonized. So yeah. uh, I'd like to be on the wall at every church in Europe. So. Correct. Yeah, get you a candle. Yeah, let's, let's do that. A
1: machete candle. LSU has just implemented air-conditioned helmets, which is uh, kind of fascinating. Yeah. Kind of fascinating for their football team. That was yeah. pretty interesting. Um, it matter,
0: dude, it's a fucking swamp. Like, no, I, I, heard,
1: <laughs> I, heard yeah, I heard it's wild. I heard it's wild. No, I think that's all I got. Those are kind of the biggest, right. latest, greatest news for us. The the Apple stuff was kind of the one thing I was really interested in. Cool. But yeah, that's that's all I got in the moving and shaking.
0: So last week I posted something that uh, you messaged me about within a few minutes, which was essentially like one of my favorite spreadsheets I have. It's called uh, Budget and Bets. And yeah. so the idea behind Budget and Bets is you have a certain amount of capital that has been allocated to you on a quarterly, monthly, annual basis, whatever you want to call it. And you have a certain amount that you have to just have on hardworking channels going through your kind of standard operating procedure. And depending on where, what stage of the business you have, you you can allocate a certain amount of capital and resources, resources also being time and people behind it to bets that have asymmetric yield and what i mean by yes. that is essentially like if you have your standard 3 to 1, 5 to 1, ratio, 7 to 1 ratio on some of the things that you're doing on a regular basis, google ads, you know, newsletter, white papers, all the all the standard stuff social channels, what is something that you can do that has a 20 to 1, a 50 to 1 that yes, if you lose it's a big loss but because you have all the rest of the stuff working you're not actually going to take an L. It will be amortized across all of the other hardworking channels. And so maybe those have a tiny dip, but like in aggregate, you're still winning at a, at a much higher proportion, but you're giving yourself this yes. opportunity to make a huge step change in both the business outcomes, but also the perception of the business. So that's kind of that yes. top of funnel, you know, word of mouth thing that I talk about all the time. Awareness. So I'm really obsessed with this and thinking about it all the time it can be hard to think about when you're in the guts of the business. And so you really have to step back to think about it a lot and give yourself space to think about that kind yes. of stuff. But I'm curious how you've thought about it. You've obviously done a few of these things. Mine are kind of yep. a little more micro recently, but we've done some bigger things as well that have had really big yields. So we'll talk about that. But uh, I'm curious how you think about bets.
1: Yeah. So one, I think you'd hit the nail on the head. I was very, very bullish when I was deploying capital on the fancy word asymmetric bets, but set a different way, cap downside, unlimited upside. So I know this thing is going to cost me five, 10, 15 K. That's all it's going to cost me. Like I know what I'm going to pay for this bet, but if this bet nets out to the moon, like there's no real cap on the upside. So those are the bets I love, 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 love to take the way I would kind of size my bets. I I think there's a few things going on here. When do you deploy the bet and how do you size the bet? So, I ran everything in quarters. Every quarter is three months, obviously. And outside of the, so there's a few ways you're deploying capital, right? You have your paid media, you have some semblance of, for me, it was community and content where other big expenditures. And then some of that you'll also have in that paid media, uh, depending on how you do your budgeting, either sponsorship or you'll break out sponsorships aside from that. And then once I have that foundational layer done, I'll look at my budgets and say, okay, cool. If I carved out, you know, five to 10% of this for some just crazy out of the box wild marketing, I mean, for lack of a better term, stunt. The big theory here is it's a portfolio play. Yeah. And so it's much so how studios create movies, right? Like, yeah. Chase, you're running. CM Studios, you're going to deploy 100 million dollars across you know 10 or 20 films. If one of those hits or two of those hits, they'll pay off the whole portfolio tenfold. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's kind of the same thinking. With that being said, if you don't have a ton of budget, you really need to focus. Like the moonshot marketing is the last thing I would add on, but you really you need to have your foundational stuff in place. And so like. We didn't really start doing moonshot marketing until maybe six months in. And the first one we did was pretty tame in terms of cost. We sent an iPhone to the moon with Triple Whale on it. And we did a a whole campaign around attribution out of this world. And we have these like gorgeous shots of like the curvature of the earth with Triple Whale in space. Like it was rad. And then we did the other thing too is you can start to fold it into collabs or partnerships. Mm -hmm. So we threw a pickleball tournament called the Beluga Bash. And one of our clients is recess pickleball paddles, and they make these incredible pickleball paddles. So we ended up making custom paddles with them and then having this really cool tournament. Another thing we did was DTC After Dark, which was actually a pretty big lift. The kids probably don't remember, but back in the day, the real world, it was almost like the first foray into reality TV, right? And for the first few ones, it was actually pretty good. And then it started to... The challenge with those is when you're Shock and awe is your strategy. You're just constantly yeah. having
0: to turn it up, up the, and then up it gets the into bad. Sure. I mean, it gets into some bad taste. A little closer for the kids. They may remember that one a little bit better. What is it? Jersey Shore might be closer to them.
1: Yeah, but again, yeah. I think it's a bad representation because it was yeah. just such a horrific, like it was more of a train wreck versus like the real world was like something where <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, that guy yeah. just crashed his bike. Ha ha, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Versus yeah. like Jersey Shore is just so ridiculously over top. Anyways. We did a DTC After Dark where we flew out a bunch of creators. We put them in this big mansion right downtown. We have a, had a private chef come, filmed the whole thing, did a YouTube series, got a yacht on Lake Lake Travis, excuse me. We wrapped a whole tour bus with triple whale, driving it through the city. It was fantastic. Absolutely landed. And then probably the biggest, best thing that we did in terms of our moonshot marketing and candidly going off, going like to paying the portfolio, this had the most business impact. However it was the biggest commitment out of all of them. DDC After Dark was probably in the same order of magnitude. But to be fair, we did get some subsidies from sponsors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the Whaley's was, was definitely the biggest thing that we did where we did a award show out here in Austin. We had a bunch of just incredible speakers. We rented out one of the best restaurants, Lambert's, incredible barbecue in the city. We had a, the best ballroom in the city for this kind of black tie optional affair. And we were just kind of giving people a mental model of the Oscars for D2C. That had absolutely outsized impact. It was, That was the bet. That paid off the whole portfolio was the Whaley's. And so I don't know if you get to the Whaley's right off the gun. Like I think you need to be... It, it was so actually pervasive and successful that Clavio is copying us and they're not doing as great of a job as we are, candidly. So that's kind of I, I'm kind of all over the place. But again, I think you need to get your foundations in place you need to understand how much you can bet where you can have like you don't want any vulnerability in the system i think that's that's kind of the too long didn't read and how can you identify those vulnerabilities and then place those bets in a meaningful manner because you can't just say okay i'm going to put all the budget on one horse or i'm going to put all the budget on one bet that was something that i was very allergic to where you know, people wanting really big retainers for X, Y, or Z or something like that, where I want 50K for this or 70K for this. It's like you start to get into some some pretty how do you make this back versus yeah. five to 10K. It's like, okay, cool. I can I can see a pathway to break even and even a pathway to yeah. netting positive on this. Whereas when you get into 50, 60, 70k kind of commitments, it's a lot. And the other thing that I would add, and because I, I want to get your thoughts on this is. Money is probably the least important thing in this equation. Uh, you can raise more money. You can find more money. You can. Do- when we did DDC After Dark, I was running my team hard, dude, because we're working nights, weekends. Like yeah. you know how hard it is to run a production. We were literally shooting a, a reality TV show. Like people, like, not to sound crass, but you understand why uppers are a thing in Hollywood now because mm. it is hard to be on set. Doing this, doing that for eight to ten to twelve hours, like it's it's a fucking yeah, on, grind on, on your feet too, on your on feet. your feet, yeah. constantly mentally there, like just this this this. We had Alexa did a great job producing it. I could kind of be the peanut gallery, but I'm still there, kind of observing. And so, my big takeaway from that was the focus and time of the team was something I did not factor yeah. into my equation because I I was just looking at money. I was like, okay, cool. This is how much is going to cost us. Blah blah blah, and like. Every single person was heavily involved in that. And so that is something that I I would say when you are making these bets, don't just look at the monetary commitments. Understand the focus and the time that is going to be taken away from your team to do this project because opportunity cost is a real thing. And thankfully, nothing blew up and like life was good and we ended up having a really successful thing. But that was something that
0: was... It caught me out a bit where I did not have that factored into the equation. You said the thing that I think is probably the most important at the end, which is opportunity costs. So there's something a lot of people, myself included, we forget sometimes to think about when we go and take something on that's really big. And essentially, it's not on the easy effort, high impact part of the matrix, which is how much is everyone billing an hour to the company? Yes. Okay. Okay. If we add all of these up on top of the costs, what ROI do we actually need to do to make this ROI positive? Because we're taking them away from something else where we know that they can guarantee some sort of outcome. And I think that's probably the most hidden part of taking big bets is the infrastructure needed to actually deliver against it. Forget impact, just deliver. Right, just so that it can actually go live, and I think that's like a really, really challenging one because shiny object syndrome is a real thing. We talk about it a lot. Um, yes, and when you start doing the day to day, and you're looking at these bets, the bet looks the most exciting. Like no one wants to hit a single; everyone wants to hit a home run. No one wants to drive 100 miles an hour; they want to drive 180 in F1 in Monaco, right? So, yes. but to get there, how much work needs to be done? How many much foundation needs to be laid? So I think what you said is really, really instructive, which is that six month period at the beginning where you are just completely dialed on making sure that you have an actual core pipeline, a system that allows for all of these things to actually be, because right, there's demand generation and demand capture. Yes. So demand capture, you need to have the demand capture engine set. And that's all of the standard foundational things you're talking about. So that when you go hard, on something massive that can again have outsized impact on the demand generation side of marketing, you have all of the mechanisms to capture that locked in, so there's no leakage. That I think is probably the really unsexy take that we yes. you you said it as well. So it's not one that I'm coming up with uh, organically, but having that demand capture engine set so that all of the you know the, the demand gen you're doing actually has impact that you can extract. And I think the other one is having a really, having an understanding of the actual time horizon to extract that value. A lot of times when you spend a lot, you want a direct zero to 14 lift on that. And. You'll see it in terms of your share of voice, if you will, to use one of our OG, one of our OG yeah. things that we used to talk yeah. about in the early uh, early 2010. Brand lift, brand, brand recall, lift. Share of softies, voice on soft Twitter? metrics. Uh, but it is it is a real thing, right? So what is your share yes. of voice for instance, that first two weeks afterwards? You're probably going to actually hit your demand gen stuff in the 15 to 30 and 31 to 45 range because people have come back from event or seen it. They've kind of figured yes. out what, how it works in terms of the, like the infrastructure of their business and how they think that they can fit it in to what they're doing. And I think that's a hard one. And this comes back to kind of when I have the budget and bets thing is like, what's the external sales? What's the internal sales pitch? So external sales, like how do I get people in the market excited about? It? Internal is how do I get them to understand what the time cycles on the actual... Yep. Delivery plus extraction of value are going to be. And yep. so Absolutely. there's a lot of infrastructural stuff there, but like bets are really sexy to action. And while you're in them, there's this very kind of moment in the sun where you're like, wow, I fucking did it. Oh my God, where the shit. But all of the guts, the internal struggles that you go through are really what you have to size up. And so that's yes. kind of what I'm I'm pitching here to everyone is size up the opportunity against the cost. Like Raba said, and make sure that you know how to sell it internally. The external sell, that you're a marketer, that's your job. The internal sell, yes. what we talked about last week, which is how do you sell that, but also make sure that there's a, I don't want to say a reasonable expectation in terms of the time horizon with when you're going to actually make turn it into revenue.
1: So well put, so many things there. I mean, if we want to oversimplify it, the way I think of bets are two main vectors, sizing of the bet, what we talked about, monetary resources, personnel resources, mind space resources. Like, how are you sizing this bet? The second thing that you mentioned that is incredibly important, and you will never get money if you don't have this part is the measurement and ROI part. Like, how am I going to measure the success? So, you need to have that story. And then, how am I going to measure the ROI on said yeah. success? And so, that is something that especially if you're running events or something non-digital, there's a lot of kerfuffles that come up. So for example, for us, we really saw... So we have something called Gong. It's basically our salespeople will take calls on this thing that basically transcribes it in this database and you can search. So what I had to do was search all of Gong every time the Whaley's was mentioned. Bing, bing, bing. Oh, look at all these deals that I've affected. And then we saw an actual split. So usually our traffic on the site is like 70, 30, maybe 65, 35 in terms of pay to organic. Yeah, During the Whaley's, it was essentially a 50-50 split because we were generating wow. so much awareness wow. around that. And so that was something that you really need to be able to wrap that narrative up. And then I guess the the ancillary on top of that measurement is what's the payback period? When am I going to be judged? Is it three months, six months, one month? And all that needs to be wrapped up into a proposal for your boss. And so I was really lucky where AJ and Max were really awesome to work with. Gave me a lot of leeway. And they're like, okay, cool. Get this done. Here's your budget. And again, like my moonshot bets weren't... Taking, you know, like if it if this missed, this wasn't an existential risk. I think that's one of the things you really need to stay away from is yeah. survival at all costs. And so, don't bet the house on black or red or whatever. No, like, no, no, like no, no, no. it needs to be in a a meaningful amount to get you to your goals, but it can't be this half of your marketing budget is on this one crazy video that if it lands, it lands, but if it doesn't, like. Now you're up a creek without a paddle because you just yeah. burnt through half of your fucking quarterly budget. Yeah. So I, I think that's how when I was looking at things, there was sizing and measurement, and then ROI payback window, which is essentially a function of measurement. Those are the three things that I think should encompass not only your moonshot bets, but but also how are you pl- deploying your paid media, at what intensity, yeah. on yeah. what channels. How much are you paying for content? What's the point of it? Like why do why am I giving you this money? What yeah. and so those those narratives really matter. And I also think there's a certain aspect of certain things can give you more bang for your buck. Yep. So one of the reasons we chose an event, more specifically an awards show, is it gave us all these built-in touch points that were natural. So I think of events in three phases, pre, during, post, right? And so the pre-phase was fantastic for us because we had not only the nominations. So hey, blah blah blah. Let's who should be nominated. So we have this incredible touch point. Get get leads in. Yada yada yada. Here's your email. Vote for the brands. We had uh, six six whaley's. I think eight whaley's. Yeah. I can't remember. And then you'd vote for these brands. And then from those nominations, you get okay, cool. Everybody, here's the people that have been nominated. Now go vote for your favorite brands. Boom, boom, boom. These two touch points. This is constantly... And the brands that get nominated obviously want to pump themselves up. Who doesn't want to win an award? Like Everybody loves their name in print. And so there was all this. And then you don't know who's going to win. And so I thought uh, Repeat did this really well, but then it fell flat because a digital event is just... It's not the same as coming to a literal award show where it's like amazing. So not only that, then we have all the best of the best giving talks... And then we close it out at this award show. We have a cool little fun vibe. The branding was on. And so we really... Hit. And then after that, you get to do a post hoc recap of like, here's all the winners. Thank you for coming, everybody. What was your favorite part? You have all this chatter. And so when you can hit those three phases in specific around an event, we literally owned essentially late January, almost all the way to March. Yep. I mean, you couldn't yeah. get anywhere... In the DTC verse, without hearing about the whaley's, like random. Yeah. And the other thing is um, because it was ticketed and we wanted to keep it tight, the FOMO was through the roof, and so we yeah. had really big clients that were like, "Hey, can I get a ticket to the whaley's?" And like that's that is one of the best heuristics for success when you these yeah. people that are coming out of the woodwork that are clients that are big clients saying, "Hey, can you hook a homie up?" And of course, you hook the homie up, and so yeah. that was that. I think is something where. You can get to a place of 4D chess almost where you're. It's not just about the event, but the event is kind of almost ground zero. But there's all these things that you can pad around it yeah. to really start to get a ton of your money and spend back. Because yeah. again, events are really expensive. They're very hard to run, but when done right. well, um, they can be. Especially when you're going up market. That's the other thing that I'm realizing. Like I've been talking with Mike over at Postscript. See him over at Postscript. And again, we're probably the two worst people to talk about this because we're both so biased. But like, I just don't think you go up market through gated content. I just don't think that's how SaaS is bought. SaaS is bought in dinner. SaaS is bought in a text message. SaaS is yep. bought in like, like, and so, not great because it's really hard to scale. But if you can yeah. hit that one viral point, then, then you get the second, third order connections where it's yeah. like, like somebody told me about it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I checked it. Out, I really liked it. And I told you about it. and You just bought a subscription. Yeah. Like you didn't download a white paper on here's the seven best ways to use. No, 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 so no, no, that's no, something no. that I'm moving away from where I don't know. And again, I think this is in specific trying to go up market, but I just don't think nine, 10, 11 figure Shopify brands buy through this like gated content type of thing. And so I, I think you're going to see a switch in the SaaS I'm market,
0: but how what? In general, oh yeah, give it to me because I think that I don't think anyone this from white papers. You have to do it, but I don't think fucking anyone does. Like, if they are, they're gonna probably be a terrible client. To be completely honest with you,
1: this was my pushback, and then then it begs the question: Why are you allocating resources to that? Because these white papers don't write themselves, and then if you are writing shitty white papers, that's like even a worse take. And so I, 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 and so
0: Mike and Aaron from recart uh, or not when we were in our private that that private group we have shout out panzer for getting us uh doing this this stuff cmo download text for anybody we um we talked about this specifically i was like guys white papers i fucking hate white papers like what's the deal and they're like look man it's really about building points of authority when people ask and so it's like you need to have them just to have them so that people feel like there's something that they can hand off and so it's Really what it is is say the person that you have brought into the fold for sales is a director of marketing and they need to go to the CMO. Say it's a CMO of a small company and needs to get budget approval from the CEO, like w- whatever that, that is. Yeah, and Or it's just a CMO and he has 10 different people and he wants to have something that outside of product, if all things are equal, feels better. It's almost like resources outside of say a friend So I text you and I'm like, Hey, what should I do here? And you're like, dude, go with these guys. They're, they're killers. So they're, they're incredible. I love their team. I love their product. If I don't have any of that, what's going to get me across the line. And so I think that's what it is. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of like fear that actually goes along with this, that I think uh, it, this is the anti, this is the anti bets, right? Like this is literally like the anti moonshot marketing because it's almost, and this is my biggest hot take on this, because it's been done forever and a bunch of successful companies have done this and no one has said that we shouldn't do this. Like if the if the CEO of HubSpot came and said, white papers are fucking, just like you said, are uh, keynotes dead? If the CEO of HubSpot came and said, and they'd done a shitload of white papers where it's like, no yeah. more gated content's dead, it would be dead. It would be dead. Well, a few things there.
1: One, I think the biggest mistake you can make and again this isn't a judgment on you is the wrong comps and so if you're if you're looking at hubspot as a comp, yeah if you're looking at hubspot as a comp it's like well they have went through the fog of war like they had huge churn issues they had all these things and so they made it out the other side so i I think that's the one thing is like aspiration is great but comp yourself against somebody that's at the same spot yeah. as you. Yeah, right? yeah. Like you want to be like Literary this person. Reality. Like I want yeah. to be Warren Buffett rich. I am not Warren Buffett rich. Therefore, why would I take any of his like, not like meta investment advice, but literal investment advice. I don't yeah. have the sized bets to yeah. make that he's making to actually yeah. make these things work. Yeah. Like it just doesn't make sense. So that would be my first thing. And then the the second thing is I think, a lot of the white paper stuff, there might be, I will give you the sales enablement. I yes. think there might be something there for sales enablement, but I'm talking purely acquisition. I just yeah, no, don't think that's how people buy. I think no. that you should, if your sales enablement needs these things, here's some case studies, here's this, that. The other, like, make sales and marketing in a SaaS company need to be tightly coupled. I, I agree with yes. that, but I just don't think as top of funnel Type of things like, and again, this is anecdotal, but I have never, ever, ever been like, oh my God, they have this gated content. Here's my email. Let me take a call and buy something. Like, yeah. I,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I just don't think that's how it happens. And yeah. I don't know any companies that are actually doing work on this. There are some like, but again, this would call, fall more into content than white paper about like how to illuminate the value proposition a little more because like, for example, like a Canva or a Figma or something like that. But again, you're starting to get into really technical verticals Yeah. um, that like, I do think documentation matters there because the user is super technical. Whereas like for us, we have such a range of users that like, that's something else that I really was super bullish on that I have since kind of receded a lot of my enthusiasm is I don't know how impactful product education is. And I thought it was like, I th- dude, I thought it was the Holy Grail. Like I yeah. was all all in on it. And for me, it's more the macro education of understanding yep. for us, how to run your business better. Yep. Here's some metrics to look at. This is how you understand profitability. Here's the anatomy of a transaction, yep. understanding the D to C business yep. as a whole, and then start to throw in a little bit of like, here's how you could do this in triple well or yep. like, Versus like just this, we did Triple Well University and we made all these highly produced, beautiful videos. And Yeah, I wouldn't say they flop, but it's not, the the thirst is not as fervent as I had once yeah. thought. Yeah. And I think there's a few things there, but um, that is something that I've really changed my tune on yeah. where I think product education is a siren song.
0: Yeah. So guys, we just closed off bets, I think roba we had this really interesting like what does a moonshot look like and what does anti-moonshot look like and what where do they sit I think it's really important actually but for us to size a, your
1: bets size your measure bets. your bets give an roi or a payback window those are the three exactly. things that really need to happen when you're when you're deploying your paid yeah. capital
0: what is the product of the week
1: dun, 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 dun. Oh, so man, actually what's
0: let's, let's do oh. this I'm gonna do this oh we got another bumper <laughs> Oh.
1: There we go. My word. This is top tier now. Watch out, my first million. Yeah. Here we come. Yeah. Um, so it's actually uh, a little bit of a Homer pick. I talked to the guys, Rashab and uh, his uh, counterpart. It's something called Fermat. Fermat, excuse me. Fra- look at you, the Franco. I can't, it's always something French with you. Yeah. you just, you're, you're, you're bringing like, into just bring it into my era, yeah. into my aura. So it's Fermatcommerce.com. Um, Really cool stuff what they're doing. So essentially, they are doing. AI storefronts for your ads. And that sounds like super buzzwordy. But ultimately, you can go in to their system, make a storefront. But not only that, it's almost like Facebook shops. But the challenge with Facebook shops is you don't get upsells. You don't get cross-sells. You don't get like the little bar saying, hey, buy this and you'll get free shipping. Like It's just a different checkout experience. You get all of that. But more importantly, one, you can increase attribution because these links are not... You can't find this link unless it's through the ad. Yeah. The second thing is you can make this cohesiveness between the ad and the actual storefront. So you can show the products, you can show the hero videos, you can change these things up without having to spin up like another landing page, etc., yeah. cetera, etc. Cetera. So pretty bullish on them. Check them out. To be fair, uh, a little pricey. So this is definitely for shops doing numbers already, and they're just yeah. w- looking for those, you know, five points, seven points of of lift there, but. I've been really impressed with it. Like I said, I got to do a deep dive demo and uh, what they've been doing over there is pretty interesting. You can also throw in some embeds. So like if you have a really highly trafficked blog post or something like that, you can embed the shop right on the actual blog post. But yeah, go check them out, firmatcommerce.com. I've been really, really impressed with the the product, the speed and the team over there. So that's my pick of the week.
0: I love that. All right, we're going to go to growth nugget number 2 So this week, it's pretty aligned with kind of what we were talking about bets and how you size them up. One thing I'm really obsessed with, I heard, I can't remember who said it. I was listening to this podcast called In-Depth, um, which is by First Run Capital. Ooh, I've never heard of it. And CEO, I forget exactly what company, but they talked about something they do called pre-mortems. And essentially what they do is instead of a postmortem. so I'm obsessed with it. I listened to this like a year and a half ago and I do it all the time oh. and it's incredibly impactful. So the idea is you go look at that bet that you're going to make and then use all of the data that you have on hand plus kind of what your expected lift is on kind of what your standard your standard data says. And then you model out a worst case scenario, a standard middle case, and then a best case scenario. And then my kind of tooling on that or build on that is... Make sure that you have built the worst case that you're okay with. Like you would still be happy with the worst case. Because if you yes. can't live with the worst case, it will happen eventually. You're going to be left holding the bag because you're the you're you're the essentially the buck stops with you when it comes to making decisions on this go to market. Champion so, of that. Uh, champion of that. And or you facilitated the champion to go take that, take that Correct. risk and that bet. And at the end of the day, as a leader, you have to protect your people. And so if they've taken a bet that doesn't work out, it's on you. And so if they, if they take a bet that works out, they did it, right? You unlocked it, it's a win. So I, I always recommend people try to pre-mortem. Obviously, things will change, life changes, You know, business things. Things happen while, while you're building the plane, while it's flying. But at least you can go in with a really deep understanding of how you feel about the bet that you're making so that you can feel good about the worst case scenario. So that is my pre-mortem, everything that you do.
1: I love the pre-mortem. And I would also say what that'll help you do is properly set expectations. Most of the conflict I have seen in business is a usually misinterpretation of the expectations where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw this event. Okay, Robert, that's going to add 100 million in ARR. Like, what? (laughs) <laughs> maybe but here, here's a, and, and to your point and this is how i when i was running brands this is how i would do projections right so you have yeah. pessimistic neutral optimistic and you have three scenarios and to your point if that pessimistic scenario is below what you can tolerate either a resize the bet b change the bet or c kill the bet because yeah. if it yeah. does well but doesn't do well enough like and it doesn't hit that threshold, you're still like Chase said, you're still going to be honest because you're going to be the endorsement. Like everything needs either a champion or a sign off. And yeah. to Chase's point, like the buck stops at that guy or a woman, like that's who gets the credit. That's who gets the credit, whether it's yeah. failure. So I think that's one of the things that, that mortem is incredible. And to build off of that, I think post mortems are really, really helpful as oh, well. 100%. Like being able to do that, um, and, and it's really hard to build that into a culture that is move fast, where yeah. there needs to be some self-reflection. And that was something that we weren't great at at the beginning because we were moving so fast. And then yeah. finally, we got the team into a cadence of okay, cool. And ideally, you have it as soon as possible. So yeah. if we threw an event, say Friday, Saturday, we would try and have that post-mortem Monday, Tuesday because... Yeah. Stuff starts to clutter up your head. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Maybe we can share some notion docs on how uh, we've done postmortems in the past, but it's something that's essential. And candidly, it's fun because it gets you back to that scientific method. If you think you're going to, everything's going to hit, you're going to burn out. Like it's just not, that's not how the world works. But if you can say, hey, here's my thesis, here's what I think is going to happen, here's when I think it's going to happen, and then you measure that and you can start to discern and break that down, I think is uh, a really, Much healthier place, not only for you as the leader, but also for your team where your team isn't necessarily focused on outcomes but it's focused on making the best decisions with the information they have possible. And I think yeah. that can get conflated where sometimes people can make bad decisions and generate good outcomes. So then they're like, oh my God, I'm the smartest person in the world. Where sometimes yeah. people can get really deflated because they made a really great decision that yeah. might've been like an 80-20 and they, they just hit the 20% that, and it didn't net out. But it was still a great decision, still a great system. Don't scrap yeah. that. It's just sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. And that's a really yeah. hard lesson to learn, I think
0: hundred percent. I think the, uh, the thing I, I love about doing pre-mortem, post-mortem is you start to be able to see trends, whether it's a big bet or yes. a small bet. And so now once you start making those pre-mortems, you actually have kind of a line of sight to what the different size of bets are actually going to happen. So like, for instance, one thing I, I learned very quickly after kind of turning on and off Google ads multiple times is Google ads drive sales calls. They don't drive PLG leads, but they drive sales calls. Okay, I want to turn up sales calls this month because I need to kind of hit some bigger some bigger sales goals. Okay, I'm going to turn up Google ads because I know there's a breaking point, obviously simultaneously, but pre-mortem, hey, I think it's going to do this. Post-mortem, oh, it does this. Okay, what's the breaking point in terms of actual budget allocation? Okay, I can do this. Yes. Oh, I can add, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, completely agree. So my friend, to close off what you got,
1: what do I got? You sent me um, something that was really good. Lenny's podcast. He just recently had, uh, I think, CTO, COO of Rippling? Yeah. I, I can't remember. A C-suite at Rippling. Really bright guy working with Parker. Insanely fascinated how he thinks of management, how he thinks. Uh, yeah. I was really, really into that podcast. Brilliant dude. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, what else do I got? I think that's the the big ones we got. uh Another heater of Whale Mail going out today. If you're not on Whale Mail, it's triplewhale.com/slash Whale Mail. And then my brother from another mother has the pencil sharpener, which you can. Yeah. Where can you sign up for that?
0: Yeah, uh, you can sign up at our website or at uh, what's it called, pencilai.beehive.com. We got a we got a whole backlog of like seventy in there. Uh, let's
1: go, oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had a real actual ESP. I have to do yeah. everything through HubSpot, and it's, yeah, uh, like that. it's great
0: for the business.
1: Horrible for the marketing. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, a really, I, it's a, a brutal, r-
0: I decoupled myself from that, uh, from those shackles a while ago. So good. Yeah. So smart. Yeah. So smart. What else do I got? I think that's kind of the, the gist yeah. of it. Getting it done
1: has yeah, the big ones. So make sure, yeah. size well, your bets, measure not. bets, ROIs, paybacks.
0: Pre-mortem. Uh, Pre-mortem. Pre-mortems. 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 Enjoy your life. Pre-mortem. I think we're recording next time from Spain, possibly. That's going to be It's crazy, exciting. right? Yeah. yeah. Of course. it's yeah, exciting, yeah. It.
1: Barcelona. Oh, fun fact about that. So there's Castilian Spanish and then Regis, right? So yeah, there's vosotros form. Do yeah. you know how it came about? Oh, like hey, the, hey. One of the ultimate gene moves ever. What the king it? had a lisp. Oh. And so he couldn't get rid of his lisp, so he made everybody speak with the lisp in vosotros form. And that's why in oh. Mexico and other uh, Spanish-speaking countries, they usually don't recognize the oh, yeah, vosotros, yeah. vosotros form. Come on. Come on. Uh, Barcelona. Come Barcelona. Come yeah. So there's a little fun fact. Oh, that's great. When when you're the king, you get to be be the king, baby. Be the king. Yeah, folks. So thank you for stopping in for us. Uh, We did get some interest in that mastermind stuff. So again, still holding holding strong there. Uh, Did you see... Isaac, Caleb, Carly, Dude, they, they jetted far. to Croatia without us. Private Island, yeah. What the hell, man? Unbelievable, yeah. Isaac. I'm I'm, I'm very heard about this. Yeah. Um, but so possible mastermind coming up. We are spinning up the newsletter, so be on the lookout for that. We really appreciate all of the kind messages, everything. So let us know how we can either A, make this better, what you enjoy, what you hate. We are here for you, the podcast for the people. By the people. Remember Fugu? Yes. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. yeah. Forest, God, I was urban. I grew up. Yes. Go kids. Oh, let's, let's, go. Go. let's go. So another one in the book. Six, seven. What is this one? Six, six. is number six, man. 12. Oh, lucky number seven will come out yeah. in uh, the Spanish. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we really appreciate all you guys and gals and amazing humans out there. And uh, yeah, give us a shout if you have anything interesting. Yeah. We're both on the Twitters. I'm quasi on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get better over there. Um, And then Chase is also on MentorPass. I'm somewhat on MentorPass. I got to talk to Kenny. I keep getting the notifications, but they're late, so I feel bad. Uh, A guy named Caleb, I'm going to reach out to you, Caleb. I'm sorry. He gave me like a same day request, Like, and my schedule is not that fluid right now, but uh, Caleb, I'll hook hook up with you offline. But if you want to go pick Chase's big brain, understand how his hair is so beautiful, go grab some time with him on MentorPass. Go get you some AI ads and... uh, I think I some got.
0: attribution over here. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, Until go. next time. Until next time. Pleasure.